Good morning, everyone. So glad you decided to tune in with us this morning. Whether you've been calling SunWest your church home for a long time, or you only met with us a couple times in person, or online is the only way you've ever gathered with us, we're so glad that you're choosing to engage with us this morning. SunWest exists to guide all people into a lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus, and that continues to be our mission even through this season. There's a couple ways that we are continuing to do that mission, and I have a couple announcements about those things. So one of them is Starting Point. So Starting Point is a four-week class that we offer that covers our core four of SunWest. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. So we're offering this class on Tuesday nights. Last week was our first class, but if you missed it, that's okay. You can sign up for week two this week and find freedom. And this is for people who are new to SunWest or also people who've been part of SunWest for a long time if you haven't had a chance to take it yet. And so that's happening on Tuesday nights, 7.30 to 9 o'clock. You can sign up on the church app, the church center app, or on the website under events. Another thing is our spring groups are starting up. And so at SunWest, we do not believe in doing life alone. And so this is a way that you can engage in community with people from your own home online. And so there's about a dozen different groups of all sorts of different types and interests that you can check out on our website or the Church Center app. That might be something interesting for you to engage in community from the safety of your home online this season. This morning, we're about to enter into worship together and song. And so whether you're the kind of person that sits there in silence and hums along in your head or you're belting it out in your home, I would encourage you to, to engage this morning. There's a lot of information coming at us from every direction and it can feel really overwhelming and can take us to some dark places sometimes. And so my prayer for you this morning is that this could be a time where truth is spoken into your mind and into your heart and that that can ground us for the coming week ahead. That as we hear the truth through song and from Pastor Matt and his message as we continue our Mark series, that truth reigns in your heart and in your mind as we're able to draw together online and draw closer to Jesus this morning. So have a great morning. Good morning, church. We are so glad to have you with us this morning from our family to yours and our living room to yours. Good morning. We're so excited to be honoring and worshiping the Lord together this morning. As I was thinking about what I'm most excited about in getting together again as a congregation and what songs I'm excited to sing when we're all together in one room, I, I felt like the Lord said, hey, why don't you sing those songs now? And so we are, and let's do that together this morning. We, uh, we invite and actually would challenge you to sing along with us loudly wherever you are in your living room or your bedroom or wherever. And if you have good quality or not so good quality speakers that you're listening to this morning, we just invite you, regardless of where you're at, let's sing it out this morning together, unified though we're in different places. Um, yeah, God, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are here in all of our respective places bringing unity by your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you. We thank you for your, your presence in this place, in this time, in all of these places, God. Together, we lift up our voices. We worship you. We honor you. We recognize that you are on the throne, and we lift our voices to you together this morning. We honor you, Jesus. Let's sing together the moon and stars. The moon and stars, they went, the morning sun was then, the Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, his blood's poured out for us, the weight of every curse upon him. final breath one final breath he gave as heaven looked away the son of God was laid in darkness a battle in the grave a war on death was waged 
Sing together, let the king of my heart. Let the king of my heart be the mountain I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, 
the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the Yes, Jesus, we declare your goodness. We proclaim your goodness. You are so good, God. And all God's people said, Amen. Good morning, Sun West. Uh, welcome to Church at Home. I hope you're doing well. I hope you are staying safe and staying sane uh, in this season that we are in. Uh, next week, we have our uh, group starting up, and so I just want to encourage you to, to pay attention to those and to sign up, and this is a way for us to stay connected. I just want to highlight one of the groups that's going to be happening. Uh, we're going to be launching a MART group that's uh, next Sunday. Uh, after the service and so uh, this will give an opportunity for people after church service to jump in on a zoom call together and interact with other people and we'll be discussing uh, the sermon content uh, in the book of Mark and so we're looking forward to doing that together. I've heard a lot of parents complaining about uh, being at home with their kids and having to do homeschooling and I'm not sure what all the fuss is about because I think it's great. I, I'm learning so much from my son in grade four about math uh, stuff I never learned before and so it's like I am going back to school uh, like Billy Madison uh, back to school back to school to prove to dad I'm not a fool I got my lunch packed up my boots tight tight I hope I don't get in a fight not that I've ever seen that movie anyways uh, we're here to talk about the gospel of Mark so I know these are difficult times uh, but I pray that you're finding joy and laughter in the midst of where we are, and I hope that uh, the Gospel of Mark is going to encourage you 
uh, in the season. I think it's got great, uh, great words and great encouragement for us. It was written for a church uh, that was uh, in the middle of hardship and trouble. And uh, what a perfect time for us to be journeying through this, this story and to be encouraged by it because this is the exact reason that Mark wrote these words. And so we're looking at Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 20 today. And I've, in, I've titled the sermon, Demons, Pigs, and Humans. Demons, pigs, and humans. And so we're just going to work our way through the text. Uh, you can follow along in your journals if you have them or on your Bible and, uh, and just take notes. And uh, let's start together here in verse 1. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And so... Uh, if we remember that this word immediately shows up all the time in Mark, and so it just, this is just a reminder that the pace of Mark, even though we're reading it uh, quite slowly going week by week, uh, the, the pace of it is actually quite fast. This word immediately, everything happens quickly. Uh, after this event, then this immediately happened, then this immediately happened. And so the pace right now in the book of Mark has continued uh, very quickly. Everything is going very fast. And we are back in the scene on the boat. And so if you remember before Easter, we... We looked at the last scene in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is on the water and he calms the storm. And this is the, uh, the lake that he is on. And in these uh, chapters, these verses, he's going back and forth on this lake. And he has been in Jewish territory uh, for the first part of Mark. But now he's actually going across the sea. Right? They had the storm on the sea, he calms the sea, he's on the other side of the sea. And now he's on the Gentile side. So he's in this, this non-Jewish side. Uh, the people that were over there, out there, um, they were unclean, as we're going to see in a second. And this is the area that Jesus is going to. And Mark wants us to know that this is a very unclean area. And so right away, we'll see that, uh, that we're going to encounter a man who is among the tombs, and he's hanging out uh, in the tombs and the tombs that we, we learn in Numbers 19, uh, this place of the dead. If anybody was in contact with the tombs or in the, this area of the dead, then they would have to isolate themselves and be cut off from Israel. And so this is a very big deal for the Jewish people. Uh, so he's among the tombs. He is, uh, he is possessed by an unclean spirit. And, uh, and so we know that this is a major deal uh, in Mark. And so Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit living among unclean tombs surrounded by people that we'll see that have unclean occupations all in an unclean Gentile territory. So this is unclean. This is not acceptable. For those who followed Yahweh, followed God, that they were God's people, this would not be kosher. This would not be allowed. It would not be okay. And so we learn that God loves to move into places where the clean, the wealthy, the affluent, the religious people don't necessarily want to go. But God delights in going to those places. And so Jesus, God of flesh on, comes into this area and he encounters uh, all of these unclean elements. And uh, in one of these pieces, I mentioned this man is possessed by an unclean spirit. And G this isn't the first time in Mark that Jesus has encountered uh, a demon. And so demons play a role in the book of Mark. And we, we need to take a second just to talk about demonic activity and recognize that, uh, that our battle on earth, as it says in Ephesians 6, is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual powers in the unseen world, these evil forces. And if we read through the, the biblical account, you will realize that as the scripture goes on, there's this understanding and development of what evil actually is and who is behind evil. And, and evil is not a person. Evil is not a people group. Uh, evil is beyond uh, the things that we see in this world and that there, there are evil forces uh, in this world. And so these are referred to as demons. These are spiritual beings. Uh, it, is, it is thought and understood in the church that... Uh, through various references and scriptures that demons are fallen angels. They were, they were angels that decided not to align themselves under Yahweh, under God, uh, but they, they left heaven, they left God uh, to, to work against him. They are led uh, by the devil or by Satan. Uh, and, and so this is uh, the forces that we see coming in and, and engaging against Jesus in the book of Mark. This man has a a demon that is, is possessing him. And, and the Greek word en could mean with, in, on. And so 
demons uh, in Mark uh, possess people. And we know that this is a possible thing, that, that, that people can be possessed by demonic forces. I myself have encountered this a couple of times in my life. Uh, where people aren't even themselves, that they've become someone completely different and they're being controlled by an evil force. Uh, this is maybe more rare, but it happens. And this man is severely possessed, and we'll find out by multiple demons uh, in the, here in Mark 5. Uh, but what's more common is, beyond demon possession, is demon oppression, demonic oppression. And, and we must ask ourselves uh, how one comes to a place where they might be possessed by a demon or even oppressed uh, by a demon. We're going to come to that in a second, but back to the text. He lived among the tombs, so he's in this unclean area, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So this man's possessed. He's being controlled by demons. Uh, and we don't know his backstory. We don't know how he got to this point. We don't know his upbringing. Uh, but it's worth pondering how he got to this place. How does this happen? And I believe that sin actually acts as a doorway uh, for evil forces uh, to come in and oppress people. That uh, we have free will, that we have choices, and, and the choices that we, uh, that we make actually give way for opportunities. When we make sinful choices, when we make choices that go against the will and the direction of God in our lives, that we create an opportunity for evil spiritual forces to come in and rule over our lives. When I was in junior high, uh, and we were in the lunchroom, and I went to a school where K to 12 all went to the same school. And so we were in the lunchroom, I was in junior high, and there was a grade 12 uh, student, and we'll just call him Bill for the sake of it. Um, and so Bill was a really big guy. Bill was, you know, probably in the mid 300 pounds. He was uh, well over six feet tall, uh, pretty gigantic. And uh, I used to have a fun time poking fun at Bill, this grade 12 student, when I was in junior high. Uh, just because, I don't know, the threat of my life, I, I, I got a rush from that maybe for some reason. Uh, and so I remember being on a bleacher. I was in the, uh, the top row of the, of the bleachers and Bill was in the, in the bottom row eating his lunch. And I had this, you know, ham and mayonnaise mustard sandwich that I was enjoying. And I decided it would be a great idea to throw my half-eaten sandwich at Bill. And so I made the decision at that moment to take that sandwich, to toss it through the air, and I can remember it hitting the back of his neck, you know, the mayo, the mustard, the meat, and the sandwich slid into his shirt uh, and down his shirt. And so I remember in that moment, Bill turns around and he looks at me, uh, and I just saw my life flash before my eyes, and he marches up the bleachers. And, and you know how those old wooden bleachers, how they echo, right? And so it became like this, the scene in the gym, and uh, Bill grabs me by the shirt, and he drags me actually down the bleachers, in front of the whole gym, in front of the school, across the gym floor, uh, and into the office uh, to, present him, to present myself and his case against me uh, to our principal. Now... This, to me, is a picture of what happens when we, when we make choices. And so at the beginning of the story, it was, it was totally my choice to, to take that sandwich, to throw it at Bill, but that choice had a consequence. That choice actually created an opportunity, and I found myself being dragged, not even being in control. Even if I wanted to escape from Bill, escape from his clutches, I could not do it. And we see language similar to this type of picture, even at the very beginning of Scripture, uh, when God is talking to Cain and Abel, or to Cain. Cain is considering um, bringing harm, killing his brother against his brother. Uh, he says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to rule over you. Now, when God created humanity, 
When God created Adam and Eve, he gave them the right to rule. This is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. In Genesis 1, 26, 27, uh, it, it talks about that we are made in God's image, that we are unique from all of creation, that we are like God in some way. And part of what it means to be made in the image of God is being given authority to rule, being given authority to create and co-create in this world with God, uh, and being given authority to make decisions that will have an impact. And so God is reminding Cain here that sin is at your door, desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And this word must that gets translated must in this, tra- in this translation is actually the Hebrew word timshel, which means uh, you may, you have the opportunity to. As human beings, we have the opportunity to make choices. That God gives us the opportunity to choose, to follow him, to align with him, to, to make choices that impact others and the world around us for good or for worse, for better or for worse. But there's a warning here. If you do not do what is right, if you don't actually make an appropriate cho- choice, uh, there's sin crouching at your door and it desires to have you, to rule you, to take control of you, to, to grab you from wherever you are and drag you. The lunchroom story, I had a choice, but my poor choice actually gave the opportunity to be ruled and to be dragged by a force that was beyond myself. Now, just a bit of a going deeper question for you to maybe pause and ask in this moment or maybe after the sermon. Uh, What do you think the link is between sin and demonic activity? Have you ever observed in your own life or in the life of others where they have where they have given up control of their lives. They've actually given up control. And what can we learn from this? I think this is what the story of Mark 5 is is actually inviting us to ponder, is what is the the effect when human beings give up control and actually become controlled by forces that are beyond themselves? The story continues in verse 3, that no one had strength to subdue him. Night and day, Among the tombs and the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You see, sin will promise you something. Sin will offer you something. You know, power, wealth, pleasure, comfort. You know, this man man obviously has the superhuman strength that that he, he has in his possession. So sin will offer you something, but it will always cost you something. Don't be fooled. Even though this man has superhuman strength, it has costed him a great deal, as we're going to see here. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and the mountainsides. He was always crying out. This word crying out is the word, is, it's, it's more actually like a howl. This man, this man is howling. It, it, it's, it's a word used to describe you know, the howling of an animal. Sin will offer you something, but we become subhuman when we make choices that are beyond or that are below. Uh, what God has called us to. We become subhuman. We become actually more like animals. And God actually created us to be above and to rule over animals and to be under him and to be co-creators with him. And in in a moment, when we make the choice to sin, to, to go away from God, we are actually giving up part of what it means to be human and be made in the image of God. Having a will and having a choice is part of what it means to be made in that image And God invites us to be part of co-creating in this world with him. But this man forfeits that by, we don't know what choices that he's made, but he finds himself in a place where he no longer has the ability to make decisions. And he's stuck. He's held in bondage. He's not free. His will is gone. And the result is that he's crying out. He's howling. He's becoming like an animal. And he's cutting himself with stones. We see a... Because of his choices, it becomes a danger to himself. And this, this refers to obviously self-mutilation or even uh, potentially suicidal attempts. He's become a danger to others. His shackles and his chains testify to this, that, that he is not safe for other people to be around. The demons have given him superhuman strength, but it has left him a human wreck. He's naked. He's isolated. He's self-destructive. He's other-destructive. And when sin becomes our master, we become like animals and treat ourselves and others as less than human. 
And I'm reminded in Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin is death. And we often think of sin as a punish, or that, of death as a punishment for sin. But what Paul, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 6 is that sin is actually more like a master. And when you choose to come under sin, when you choose to follow sin, he pays you, sin pays you in the wages of death, in the wages of destruction. So, in light of that, in Romans 6, it describes sin as a master and death as a wage. How might this be different than your previous understanding of sin and death? Do you primarily see sin as something that is inside of ourselves and the punishment of that sin is, is death? That's one way of looking at it. Uh, but we also see in Scripture this other way, that sin is a master. And when we actually come under it, when we follow it, when we let that lead us, we experience destruction in our own lives. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So just a couple of interesting notes here. The demon uh, is actually saying, you could translate this, uh, in the name of God. He, the demon is invoking the name of God to save him from Jesus. Uh, joke's on him. Jesus is God, but uh, we'll, we'll see that here in a second. Uh, and it's also interesting to note that Jesus uh, made an attempt before this encounter to cast the, the demon out, uh, but it seems like he wasn't able to, which is an interesting thing for us to consider. For he was saying to him, come out of the man. Uh, so this is in the past tense. So Jesus had made an attempt to cast out the demon, uh, and then they had this encounter. So Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Now let's pick up on a couple of uh, names that are being used here, descriptors. Uh, legion and pigs. So just as a bit of a background, a legion was part of a Roman army. It was a group of soldiers, anywhere from four to 6,000 people. And do you know what the mascot of the Roman army was in this particular region? It was a pig. It was a pig. And so is this story about Jesus freeing a man or is this story about Jesus freeing a people from Roman oppression? And the answer is yes. You know, Mark often has multiple things going on at one time. And so we look at this and we see Jesus that is bringing freedom to an individual, but we also see the call that Jesus has as a Messiah to free not just individuals, but to, to free peoples, to free nations, and ultimately to free the world from the power, uh, from the powers in this world. So God's kingdom rescues individuals, rescues nations, rescues the world, it rids it of evil, death, and demonic oppression. It, Jesus does all of that. And so Mark wants us to see that it's not just a man being rescued, but Jesus is also up to something beyond this, that Rome itself, however mighty you might think it is, will not have the last word. It will be thrown into the sea. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down to the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And if we remember from Mark chapter 4, that the sea represents evil, the sea represents chaos. And so Jesus is portrayed first as one who has power over the sea. And now we see that Jesus has power over the demons and he sends demons into the sea. And this is echoed again when we read in the book of Revelation that Satan and his demons come out of the sea. And so Jesus sends them to the place that they belong. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. This man who was oppressed, who was possessed, who had actually given up his ability to choose, gave control over to evil forces. Jesus comes, sets him free, rescues him, and he is now sitting in his right mind. And I think this is an important point because Jesus does not 
make this man do anything. Jesus frees him, yes, but then after Jesus frees him, the man is in his right mind and he sets him free so that he can exercise his will again. You see, Jesus is not like Rome, where he comes in uninvited and through coercion tries to establish his kingdom. Jesus actually frees us and woos us and invites us to choose him and to co-partner with him in what he's doing. Jesus does not force this man from this point on in the story to do anything he does not want to do, but he has freed this man to choose again. He has returned to this man the will, the capacity to actually function as a divine image bearer. He's given this man the capacity again to co-create in the world with God. He's given him the opportunity to follow Jesus. And we learn in Mark 5, in this story, and, and Mark goes out of his way so that we can see that this man was beyond help. There was, this man was beyond what people could do, what doctors could do. This man was beyond what counselors could help him with. That this, this man was so far gone. He was hopeless. He was helpless. And what we learn in Mark 5 is that every person has the image of God in them, no matter how hidden it might be from us. In fact, the Satan, the demonic forces that love to stay hidden behind the scenes would love for us to make enemies of other people, to make enemies of other image bearers. And no matter how evil someone is, no matter how much we might view them as the enemy, we must always recognize that somewhere hidden underneath every person is the divine image of God. And we must know because of what we read here in Mark that Jesus, the stronger one, as we learned in Mark chapter 3, that he's stronger than Satan, the stronger one can actually come and free anybody from oppression, from possession, from the choices that they've made, from the past that might haunt them, no matter how hopeless, no matter how helpless they might seem. Every person has the divine image. And I wonder, do you ever feel hopeless? What might the story be saying to those that feel stuck? What might it be saying to you if you feel stuck? And secondly, do you ever feel like some people are too far gone? Maybe people in your life, maybe people in your family, uh, maybe you know, people from other places, maybe political leaders, you're like, you're, they're hopeless, helpless. Do you ever feel like people are too far gone? How might this story challenge you to see and treat them differently? What might it look like for you to actually look at your enemies as having the divine image somewhere hidden within them? What might it mean for you to recognize that a real enemy, our true enemy, is not flesh and blood, but it's Satan, it's, it's, it's his demons, it's the, the evil forces in the spiritual realm? Verse 16, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. You know, I think most people, if they were asked, you know, would you want God to show up? They would say, yes, oh, absolutely. But we see over and over again throughout the biblical story, throughout the gospel stories when Jesus shows up, that that's not always the case. And as a, In fact, many people, when God shows up, beg him to leave. Makes me wonder why. You know, perhaps we, we don't actually want God to have control of our lives. Perhaps we don't like the way that Jesus disrupts the status quo. No matter how broken, how messed up it is, it's normal for us, and we don't want Jesus to actually disrupt our normal. And as we see that Jesus will leave, he honors the choice. He does not stay where he is not welcome. Again, not like Rome. Rome comes where, where they're not welcome, where they try to coerce and establish their kingdom, Jesus actually honors the decision that people make and he removes himself from the situation. He simply comes to set this man free, invites him to follow him. And then as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him to permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis 
how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And the Decapolis is just, just means 10 cities. There's an area of 10 cities uh, that this, that, um, where Jesus is right now. It's part of that region. So this man begs to come with Jesus, to come in the boat, to come, come to the other side, to go to that safer area where Jesus came from, and, the, and Jesus tells the man to go home. And we often think about what we're saved from. What, God, what we want God to come and save us from. And we know that there was a lot of things that this man needed to be saved from. But how often do we think about what we're saved for? And I think that often the things that God saves us from have a relationship with the things that God saves us for. You know, I got a friend here at SunWest who, um, who escaped from uh, Guatemala. And I, I know many of you know Sam, and, uh, and he'd be fine with me sharing, sharing that. I've shared a story before. Uh, but God did, a, uh, did such a work in Sam's life as he escaped from Guatemala, found a home here in Canada. God got a hold of his life and saved him um, from, from different addictions and, and actually redeemed him. And now Sam uh, is very active in reaching people from other countries and other nations that have immigrated here that don't speak English. And he brings the love of Jesus wherever he goes. And that's an example of, of a way that God saved someone from something and actually told them to go home, to go back to where you came from because what I saved you from is actually part of the mission that I've saved you for. I could tell you other stories of people at SunWest who have survived alcoholism. And after, you know, God had set them free and redeemed them, uh, they are actually a part of ministry to bring freedom to other people in their alcohol addictions. I could tell you the same thing about uh, sexual addictions and pornography. There's, there's people at SunWest that, you know, were held captive by pornography, that were being dragged uh, across the gym floor, so to speak, that, that had lost control or the ability to actually make healthy decisions anymore, and God had set them free. And now they're actively involved in coming alongside other people to help them find freedom. See, God saved them from something, but it was also related to what God was going to save them for. You know, I think of other people at SunWest, um, you know, there's, uh, there, there's people that have struggled with, you know, an eating disorder that have, you know, fa- found... Uh, found health and freedom and now have come alongside of other uh, people that are struggling with a similar thing to bring hope and bring freedom. I think of people that have had financial debt and have have found freedom uh, in their finances now are coming alongside people to bring financial freedom. And and there's story after story, even within our own faith community, of when God saves somebody from something. He often doesn't say, yeah, get in the boat and let's escape this and go, go somewhere else. He often sends us back home. He often sends us to the places that we're coming from. And this man would actually become the first missionary, the first apostle to this, this Gentile region. In fact, he, he almost became like a John the Baptist. You know, Jesus would come back to this re- region in Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 31. We'll see he comes back to Decapolis and ministers in the cities there. But this man who was saved, who was rescued, actually prepares the ground for the ministry of Jesus that's about to come. And that's the call for all of us. When God saves us, when God rescues us, when he redeems us, we actually go home. We actually go back. We actually go back into the world where we came from and prepare the ground for God's kingdom to come so that other people can be freed as well. And then as the story ends, we see, um, he says, go home, tell your friends and tell them, how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And here's, we come back to Mark's theme, asking you and I if we have eyes to see and ears to hear what's actually going on. You notice here that, he, that Jesus tells the man to, to go tell people what God has done to you, what the Lord has done for you, which is the Lord was, you know, short form for Yahweh. And... Then the man goes away and tells people how much Jesus had done for him. See, Jesus is God. Jesus is being revealed as God. He is the stronger one. He is God himself that has come to rescue us, come to free us from whatever oppression has come upon us, whatever we feel like is controlling us, whatever is holding us bondage. And he has come to set us free, not just for our own sakes, but also for the sake of others. And so SunWest, 
may you see that this God came from heaven in the person of Jesus to break barriers, to cross the seas, to go into places that others wouldn't go, that, that, that other people, religious leaders, didn't find acceptable. And there was no place that he would not go. He went into these unclean places. He went into this, this place uh, where this man was, uh, was so held captive by demonic force and he rescues him. May we see that God has saved us from decisions that we've made, from the doorways that we've opened up to demonic forces that have come in and impacted our lives and created destruction in our lives and destruction of other lives. May we see that these decisions we've made have actually made us less than who God has called us to be and God has come to restore our will and our ability to be co-partners with him. That God has not just saved us from something, but he saved us for something. May we see that every human being, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far gone we think they are, has the image of Christ hidden within them and maybe co-partner with God to actually call that out, to partner with him uh, so that other people can find hope and freedom in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Hey SunWest, thanks for joining us for Church at Home this morning. I hope that you guys are staying safe and doing well. Um, I would encourage you to, to reach out, to pick up the phone, to send a message, an email. If, uh, if there's any needs that you might have, maybe you're aware of somebody that has some needs uh, that we as a community can step up and meet together. Uh, so please, let's communicate over this time so that we can keep moving forward uh, in a way together, even though we are isolated. Uh, one of the ways, obviously, that we can stay connected is through a group's ministry. And as they launch next week, I would just encourage you to engage in that way, to jump in, join a group, uh, uh, so that we can keep moving forward together at this time. Uh, God bless you, and we'll see you soon.